Welcome to the Best of MBS podcast, a collection of the best interviews hosted by Michael Bungay-Stanier, best-selling author of The Coaching Habit and How to Begin. Today's interview is from The Coaching Habit podcast. Here's your host, MBS. So you know the cool caliber of people I get on the Coaching Habit podcast, because that's what you're listening to right now, the Coaching Habit podcast, and I am Michael Bungay-Stanier. Now, as part of the joy of putting my book out, The Coaching Habit, I appeared on a bunch of podcasts, some really big names listened to by bazillions, many, I suspect, not listened to by anybody whatsoever, but I have been on one podcast that I have truly loved, and it is the Coaching for Leaders podcast. You may have heard it because the host is David Stahoviak, and such a nice guy, and really truly at one of the forefront at bringing together people who are committed to coaching and leadership and making a difference. So if you haven't listened to a podcast for a while, if I'm the only podcast person you're listening to, that's a terrible mistake. You definitely need to subscribe to Dave's podcast, the Coaching Leaders podcast. He has interviewed David Allen, Dan Pink, Susan Kane, Adam Grant, Marshall Goldsmith, Patrick Lencioni, Honestly, some of those people I've interviewed, some of them I've been trying for years to interview and they keep turning me down. So go listen to Dave's podcast. I've been on it a couple of times and I get to swap seats this time and interview Dave. I'm super excited about it. Um, He's also the founder of the Coaching for Leaders Academy, an exclusive year-long leadership development cohort for managers, executives, and business owners who want to develop leadership excellence and empower each other. Dave, that was slightly gushing as an introduction, but damn it, I'm going to stick with it. How are you? Hey, I'll take it, Michael. <laughs> thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I'm honored. Yeah, you know, we um, on the coachinghabit.com page where we, we offer up some additional resources, yours is the podcast we suggest people listen to. So, um, Oh, I had no idea. Thank yeah. you so much for that. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. All right, so enough, enough self-congratulately. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. Let's, uh, let's, let's... I've been working on my Australian accent. That's uh, good. Uh, honestly, if that's your Australian accent, you still need to keep working on your Australian accent. But um, I, I've given people a hint of what you're up to. But tell, tell me, what, what's the impact you're really looking for to have in the work these days? What's your great work? Two things I think about a lot right now. One of them is helping leaders make great friends. Mm leadership is awesome i love how you said that yeah i I believe you should be able to describe what you do in a way that an eight-year-old can uh articulate it and so that's that's what i tell people and that's really my work with the academy of the people i'm working with Mm -hmm. is leadership is a very lonely pursuit in a lot of ways for most of us and we have this amazing ability now with technology and video conferencing to be collaborating like crazy with leaders from all over the world. And most of us aren't doing it. And so a couple of years ago, we kicked off the academy. And the goal of the academy is not to bring a curriculum, but is to empower great relationships. So when people run into struggles as leaders, which we all do every day, we've got a go-to trusted source of relationships of people who are willing to be objective, who are invested. Um, so that's that's huge. And then the other piece that I'm doing for the broader audience that listens to Coaching for Leaders is just creating space for great conversation. Mm-hmm. I just think we're missing so many opportunities in society today for having really great conversations. And I love nothing more 
than to have um, someone come on the show who can be helpful to our audience and have a great conversation with them that's fun to listen right. to, that's inspiring to me, it's inspiring to the audience, and then have the audience have one thing that they can take away immediately walking into the workplace that day and can apply and make their lives and works work better for the people that they're influencing. Wonderful. Tell me, I mean, I, lo- I, I really do love that idea of helping leaders make friends because um, it's, it's not language you really hear. But you get, I get an immediate hit around, oh, how useful, how wonderful, what a, what a contribution that is. And I can't help but think that when you gather people together in this virtual academy and um, having people lean in, be vulnerable, connect, that's not an easy thing to do because it's hard to do at the best of times and to do it with strangers online. You know, we've got lots of training to kind of be a bit wary about that. So how do you start? helping people step forward into what is possibly new friendships? Mm, uh, Two ways. Uh, One of them is being very clear on what expectations are for what the Academy is trying to do. Um, I I am a believer that at the root of every human conflict is unclear expectations. And so um, I spend a lot of time with people who are applying for the Academy of talking about expectations in advance. I interview everyone personally. So this isn't one of those things where, you know, someone signs up and puts in a credit card and gets access right away. It is it is very much a very personal process um, and it's very time intensive for me, but it's worth doing because I want to make sure that those relationships are right. Um, so that is huge. And then the first few sessions are huge. We spend a lot of time doing relationship building. So mm. we do, um, you know, I, I've uh, uh borrowed or stolen, depending on how you look at it, uh, you know, some of the lessons that I've learned <laughs> right. over the years, like from five dysfunctions of a team, Patrick Lencioni's um, uh, model on right. like, how do you get to people together for the first time and do a personal histories exercise. And so we right. do that as one of our first sessions. And we don't even talk about roles in the organization. Really, we talk about, you know, tell us what you've been doing, where you came from. Tell us a little bit about your life story. And, uh, you know, Fred Rogers, uh, my favorite theologian, has this great quote. It says, it's impossible for you not to love someone once you've heard their story. Mm -hmm. And so we spend the first, the first really month in the academy of talking about stories. And then the, I don't, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's very natural that the conversations about what's going on today in the workplace and the trust Mm -hmm. really comes out naturally. The other thing that really helps, Michael, is the kind of person who listens to a show called Coaching for Leaders and applies to the Academy. <laughs> right. Uh, is uh, One thing I've learned is the, the podcast is really great at attracting people who already have the orientation to being a learner and seeker and being open to coaching and really wanting that out of relationships and not getting that a yeah. lot of times, either from their manager or from some of the colleagues they work with. And so they are ready and willing and just excited to jump in and to, um, and, and I think to be a little more vulnerable than we might see in like a traditional corporate program if we showed up and mm-hmm. you know, brought a bunch of leaders together. You know, it's interesting. My, my memory is of those five dysfunctions. The very first one that Lencioni talks about is trust and, or lack of trust. So I think it's wonderful that that early commitment is how do we build trust through some of these intimacies through this storytelling process. Now, listen, I listen to your podcast and love it. I haven't applied for your academy, but I'd be, you know, I'm kind of a profile of the person who might. And if I look at patterns of behavior I know I have, there is on one hand a hunger for friendship and intimacy and trust. 
And on the other hand, a kind of weird kind of <laughs> fear of it at the same time. I'm like, look, I want it, but I'm my default is to kind of linger, to kind of hold back, to lean out rather than to lean in. I'm guessing you encounter something like that with some of the people. How do you nurture those people who are a little more reluctant to kind of open their hearts? That's where having been a trainer and facilitator for Dale Carnegie for 15 years is really helpful. Mm. That for me, I do see myself as a coach, but I'm I'm a better trainer and facilitator. Right. And so my job is to create the space where everyone feels comfortable to participate and where they do not of uh, be that person that that is making that invitation for participation to happen. And more often than not, when I find that someone is holding back a bit, um, the quieter, the in, more introverted person, which by the way, I am too, when I'm in a group yes. and I'm not the facilitator, more often than not, when I talk with them offline or we're talking one-on-one, they'll say something like, I feel like I want to contribute more and, or I, I'm not sane enough, or I just feel a little hesitant. And they're, they're wanting to jump in as often I am when I'm in that situation. And so what I'll do as a facilitator, we'll just talk in advance, say, you know, would it help if I made the invitation to you in the session when we're together uh-huh. to come in and to, and to prime the pump a little bit into, um, into be thinking about how you can add into the conversation based on what I know about you. And I've never had someone say no. And yeah. usually it's a very enthusiastic yes. And then we'll start doing that in the next few sessions. And then that becomes a lot more natural. The, the other way that makes it easy is it's not 30 people, Michael, it's six or seven. Yeah. So it's uh, one of the things that I've really struggled with in being part of some of these like online programs over the years where you go online and there's, you know, 1500 people on the forums right. or there's a membership. Uh, I really did not want that experience, not only for myself, but for the people who are part of the Academy community. So, I mean, our entire Academy is 50 people right. um, and each small group is six to seven. And yeah. so it's a very intimate experience. If someone's not there, everyone notices. Yeah. And people are asking and reaching out to that person on Slack afterwards. Hey, you know, we missed you. Are you okay? Um, so it's it, it's by both facilitation and design, really creating the space where people want to engage. Mm. And that works out really well. You know, I love that you're pointing to uh, you being more of a facilitator than a coach. I, I think of myself in exactly the same way. And part of what I love about the process you've just shared is this commitment. I'm, I'm reading into this. I'm, I'm projecting, I guess. But it's a commitment around engaging, but not in a way that could potentially make you or that other person lose face. I know as a, when I'm running a session or training or when I teach my facilitators for our, our programs at Box of Crayons, it's really important not to have somebody be shamed in some way, you know, subtly or unsubtly in front of a group because then not only are they shamed, but the whole group is like, okay, it no longer feels safe here. It no longer feels like a place where I can take a risk. So that idea of, you know, being able to invite somebody in, but check in with them first is such great advice. It's one of the skills I learned as a Carnegie instructor over the years. Uh, a, a master trainer at one point taught me never leave a participant alone in a negative. Right. And so I, I work really hard. Um, and now it's second nature. So I, I probably don't appreciate the power of that as much as I did when I first learned it. But I work really hard never to let someone 
feel like they left a session or a conversation feeling like they were they failed in some way mm. or that they were left alone in a negative. Um, so if something comes up that's negative, I mean, we work really hard, not only me, but the other academy members too, to really acknowledge that, not try to change anyone, certainly. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that, and Michael, I hope you don't mind me saying this, a lot of folks in our industry, you know, are very rah-rah, <laughs> things are good. I'm, I'm totally you know, with you, yeah. Let's be enthusiastic. I've seen a lot of that in my career. And we we really, uh, as a society and as a business culture, we're, like it's we're too soon sometimes to like, okay, well, put on a happy face, even though this bad thing happened and let's move through it. Um, I want our academy sessions, and I hope they are for most of our members, is to people show up and know that if they're having a bad day or something awful just happened in the workplace, um, or even something awful happened personally, that they're okay being that, being there and that we don't try to change them. And at the same time, we're there to listen and say, we are here with who you are and how you're showing up uh, when it good, bad, ugly, whatever it is. And how can we help support you right now? Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, uh, this is more than a decade ago now, but at one stage when the ICF were running their really big annual conferences, myself and some friends did a session called, I think it's called the five unspeakable truths about coaching. And it was a reaction to that rah rah, everything's good, everything's light, and everything's appreciated. To say, look, what what what's the shadow side of coaching? What's the shadow side of ourselves? And to try and create a space around that. And uh, <laughs> I think the participants loved the experience, although the recording was never released because it was too <laughs> too controversial. So uh, it's like I love it. I know it's pretty funny. Uh, look, you know, I, I, yeah. And of course I fail at this all the time, Michael. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's just part of the nature of doing this. Um, I know there are times that I've said something or I've moved on from something and probably that person needed without me knowing that person needed mm. me or the group to be there with them more in person. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a constant struggle for me to keep in check as a facilitator. Like how can I honor everyone who's here right, in the right. best possible way? So you, you've hinted a little bit about your past and, and the work you've done before. And one of the things that I'm always curious about is for the people I get to talk to, how, what is their journey? I mean, just to your point earlier on about tell us your story. And the doorway in for this for me is that phrase, inspiration is when your past suddenly makes sense. Mm. And built into that is this idea, I think, that we've all had these crossroad moments, moments where you could have gone left or you could have gone right. You took one of those directions and it kind of shifted things. It made all the difference. So I'm curious for you, is there one or two kind of crossroad moments that you'd share? Yeah, there's, there, oh gosh, there's so many <laughs> right. over the years. I think the thing that comes to mind for me is thinking about being in graduate school for a lot of years. Uh, you and I both spent a lot of time in grad school. And mm -hmm. so the thing that I really loved about being in school, and I've probably been in school more years than I haven't. <laughs> in my life right is i love the conversations and the energy about learning that would happen in a great class discussion that that for me was like really exciting when that happened like you get in a in a master's program or a doctor program you get like a group of professionals together who are really smart people who care a lot who are invested in learning yeah and for me the i mean one of the ahas i had during that process of all those years is like how little that happens as part of a formal academic program. Like right. a lot of the time is we got to hit this curriculum. We've got this classroom exercise. We're writing papers. We're doing grading, you know, all the things that traditionally go with, you know, formal yep. programs. And 
I, I just I, I got to thinking like any and even as an instructor, I mean, I've, I've taught uh, as well at university programs uh, and master's programs. And I just there's so much work to be done around all of that other stuff, um, which is really valuable, of course. But I, I wondered, like, how could I create more discussion? Like, what if we could get a get, what if we could take out all the papers and all the other stuff mm-hmm. and just have really good discussions with smart people? Yeah. And that's how the academy started off um, was that drive. So, I mean, for me, it was part of getting to the end of that process and and wanting that to continue, but not wanting to write any more papers. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Both for myself, but for the other people around me. Yeah. And so the Academy started from that. So that was definitely one point. Of, oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the other point, I mean, from a learning standpoint, uh, I mean, there's so many things I could say personally, but I, I think from a professional standpoint, being an instructor for Carnegie for so many years, one of the things I've, I've really come to appreciate is people learn the most when they're struggling with something. Right. And how rarely it happens that the session that's being facilitated on this date is going to match up with what that person needs <laughs> right. in the moment. Right. You know, so, uh, sometimes it's six months too early. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, a year too late. And, and in a lot of places, there isn't a lot of flexibility to address that. And I think actually Carnegie does a better job than most of really staying with people in the moment. But I, I really realized like how often like some of the best learning would happen before a session or after a session, like in one-on-ones, like someone would say, you know, I'm dealing with this right now. Um, I know we're going to be talking about this in three or four weeks, but like, do you have any advice? Yeah. And I, I, I think, a, you know, a formal training program, a curriculum is really great for a lot of things. When you get to a point where you've had some significant level of experience in your career, and especially if you've been a leader for a while, there comes a point where that spontaneous discussion in the moment, I think, becomes even more valuable. And so that was another, I don't know if it was an aha, but over time, I'd had that happen enough times where I thought, you know, there's a lot of value I, I add by showing up. Right. Not even by whatever curriculum that's there um, because of the space I can create and because of just the interests I have in this space. And, you know, what what could we do around that? And I, and I spent a lot of years thinking about that, but that's, that's again, you know, part of what led me to not only the podcast itself and, and doing that, but also the Academy initially. Yeah. You know, one, uh, one of our design principles and you see that in the book in, in our programs is what's the least I could teach that would be the most useful. And rather than continually kind of shove content in, which is, which is what I really want to do because I love, I mean, when I find good content, I'm like, this is fantastic. Or I invented this or I've reframed that. But just in the, that full commitment to the learning of, and the experience, it's like, wow, if we could just have as little content as possible, but no less than that. <laughs> so you're just trying to find that sweet spot between just the flavoring of content that then allows interaction and conversation and experience to emerge. That becomes quite, quite the wonderful thing. Yeah, it, for me, it's um, there's an art there, I, and I, I hear what you're saying of like finding that perfect yeah. spot of like bringing in the right model and the right book and the right content, the right theory when it's appropriate, and but also having the flexibility to move between that and asking great questions, yeah, um, and talking about experience and leveraging the other experience of people in the room, and to be able to move through that really fluidly and 
one thing I've come to realize is that's something that I have a talent in and that's really an art um, to do that. And and so that's where I've spent my time. And I've, I've really moved away from being more of a traditional trainer in a lot of the things I'm doing now and being much more of a facilitator coach or yes. facilitator. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know there's yeah. some other word there probably. Yeah, whatever that portmanteau word is you just came up with then, that's a terrible word. I'm just, <laughs> we'll, back, we'll back away from that. We'll just call it facilitator coach. That's perfect. Um, maybe there's an Australian maybe, word. <laughs> maybe there is, yeah. Nothing's coming to mind. So I love your, your reflecting on the experience, reflecting on this journey, um, and reflecting on the importance of learning and support and friendship, which is a perfect setup for this next question I want to ask you, which is, you know, as you've gone along your path, not only have there been these crossroad moments, but there's been these kind of lessons you've had to learn along the way. That kind of like, you're not really going to progress until you get this. And as I've come to realize, most of us don't have thousands of these to learn. We just have a few of them, but we just have to keep learning them over and over and over again because they just keep <laughs> showing up in slightly different manifested ways. Oh, here's that lesson again. So I'm wondering for you, what's the hard lesson on your path that you've had to learn or perhaps you have to keep on learning? Getting out of the business of answering questions and getting into the business of asking them. Oh, now you're just sucking up to me. And I like that. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's but it's it's so true. Um, yeah. I mean, and part of this is, I mean, as much as I appreciate and value my formal academic training, I've had to unlearn a lot of stuff. And the stuff I've had to unlearn is that success is you get a 95% or higher on something. Yes. And I don't just mean on a paper, but we even, we have this orientation in a lot of organizations too of success is when I meet or exceed whatever metric that has been set by the organization. And yeah, we all have to have metrics and we need to hit them. And part of the path of learning and growth and the organizations that are really doing innovative things is yes. being willing to fail and struggle and for that to be mm -hmm. acceptable and even encouraged in the organization to say, hey, right. you know, we're not aiming for failure, but let's fail fast right. and let's learn and let's grow as we go. And that is something that I have, I mean, in the last five or six years, I've really, I'm still working on this, but I've definitely changed my orientation to rather than trying to do things perfectly, is starting things right. and having much more an orientation to leading indicators now than lagging indicators. Uh, um, if I do a good job nice. of focusing on the leading indicators, the lagging indicators will take care of themselves eventually. So give me an example of a leading indicator. I mean, I know what you mean, I think, but to bring it to life, can you point out the difference between one and the other, the lagging, the lagging indicator? Oh yeah. I mean, one example for my personal life is, uh, staying healthy, keeping mm -hmm. my weight in check, right? So one way to do this is to get on the scale every day and like see what the, see what the numbers show on the screen, right? right. So that's the, that's the lagging indicator. Um, the leading indicator for me is if I record in my Lose It app what I'm eating <laughs> during the day, right. uh, which I do religiously, um, I don't have to worry about what so much what the scale is going to say when I get on it because I already know because the leading indicator is the behavior for me that if I right. do recording in advance, I know that I'm going to eat well, I'm going to stay healthy. And even when I, you know, jump off the boat once in a while and eat too much and I'm not healthy and don't work out, 
I already know that, so right. I can get back to the behaviors I want much more quickly. Yeah, it's that kind of commitment to the process. Where you're like, I'm going to work the process. Yes. And if the process is a good one, it's going to take me somewhere interesting and useful. Um, and r- rather than work the outcome and go, ah, oh, the outcome still hasn't failed. I beat myself up about that. All you get to control is the process. And I do that so much more professionally now, too. Uh, when we launched the academy, we started with 12 people. It was at a much lower price point. Mm. And um, we had a couple of core things that I knew I was fairly sure would work out. Um, but none of the ecosystem was there. We didn't even have an online form or anything. Um, but I, we went to our audience and said, hey, we're starting this. Here's the core pieces that'll be there. Uh, it's going to be a year commitment. Here's the price point. And if you want to do it, you're going to be learning with us. Right. Uh, so part of what you're going to sign on for is teaching you teaching me what you need and what we add on to. And mm. it was a blast. Uh, it was a, we didn't have things figured out, all of them. There were some mistakes we made. Yeah. But it, we were all in it together and saying, hey, we're going to learn as we go. We're going to do this. We're going to make it better. And, uh, you know, one of the things I'm so proud of is it's we're almost three years in now, all of those original 12 people are still with us. I mean, they only made a one year commitment. Oh, that's great. And so, yeah. but it was, it was us and them and me all focus on, let's, let's focus on the leading indicators, um, first of like, what's the effort we're putting in what expectations do we have for each other? And, um, and if we do that well, the outcomes take care of themselves. Yeah. Beautiful. Dave, as a, as a final question, and it is a, a beautiful lead-in from what you've just been talking about, about the work you do in teaching others and facilitating others in the academy and beyond. You know this is called the coaching habit. You know that partly I'm always just curious as to what are the tools or processes or ways of working that seem to be work really well. I'm always, I'm always on the hunt for kind of best in class. So when you're helping someone, is there a tool or a process or a model that you go to time and time again, a kind of trusted, tried favorite of yours? I promise I'm not just trying to suck up to you, um, <laughs> but the coach, uh, I, the seven questions from the coaching habit yeah. are on a keyboard sh- shortcut on Apple Notes because I'm doing so much online. I literally pull that up just about daily. Wow. Um, it's a reminder to me to not do what we were talking about earlier is getting out of the business of answering questions. Yeah. Um, and so I'll literally keep them on the screen in front of me. And, you know, sometimes I look at them more and sometimes I don't, but it's the reminder to me to be in the business of asking questions. Yeah. So that's one. So thank you so much for that gift you've, you've given to all of us. No, thank you. But, but give, us a, give us another tool, because otherwise people will think we're just, this is just <laughs> weird, bro, this weird bromance that's happening here. Uh, the other one is aim low. Ah. What do you mean so, by that? I mean, that's intriguing, but yeah. 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 Um, one of the challenges I have in working with our, our audience and our academy members is um, there are people like us, Michael, who really are learners and seekers. They think big. They have grand visions. They set really high goals for themselves, as do I. Right. And, um, and then they have a hard time getting started sometimes. And so one of the things I've learned to appreciate in working with clients and in my own life, certainly, is I am often coaching people on let's make that smaller. Um, And some of the research that's been done on habits in the last few years is really fascinating on this, Um, you know, like the work from Duhigg and and, uh, uh, BJ Fogg. Fogg, That's right. Sorry. I mean, it's really for me, like that tiny approach of like, Let's get the momentum started. And that's something that I also learned from Carnegie and watching Carnegie do this brilliantly in classes of, you know, if you want to get someone comfortable at speaking in front of a room, you don't 
on the first session of the class, you don't get them up and have them speak in front of the whole room for right. three or four minutes. You have them stand up and just say their name. Yeah. And so what I'm spending a lot of my time doing in sessions is not asking people to think bigger. I'm, I'm encouraging people to think big, of course, but tactically, when we talk about what's the commitment we're going to make for the next session, I'm encouraging them to think smaller. Yeah. So if they set a goal for, I'm going to be doing this over the next five days, the coaching I'm often doing is, what's one time for sure you could do? Yeah, nice. uh, or what's, what's a lower metric that you can hear? Because once you clear it, yeah. even if it's a smaller, even if it's a smaller goal, you, you start the momentum and you get the success. And you're like, oh, okay, I can do this. And then the next one's a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger after that. Um, and, and I've gotten so excited about this, Michael. I literally had put in our marketing materials for the Academy. Um, you know, I'd put in aim low and low bars in <laughs> some of the tech. And then one of our members came to me was like, you know, you may not want to put that in the marketing materials because I <laughs> right. know where you're going with it. Yeah. <laughs> Achieve not. mediocrity with Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah. from a tactical standpoint and a coaching standpoint, it's, I mean, it's the way yeah. I've been successful and the things I've done that have been successful in my career. And when I haven't been successful, it's the way I've screwed up is right. I've tried to do too much all at once. When I've done the little things consistently, that's what's made all the difference. You know, and there's nice connections out there to things like cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'm thinking of Teresa Amabile's book, The Progress Principle, or speak to the same thing, which is step-by-step step is likely to be more successful than trying to attempt one huge leap. Absolutely. Dave, for, for people who are, you know, are now curious, you've talked about the Academy a few times, you've certainly talked about the podcast a few times, as have I. Um, and they're like going, I need to find out more about this man. Where can they find you online? Well, the best place is just to go to coachingforleaders.com. Tons of resources there, including a free membership. And the podcast is Coaching for Leaders. You can find it anywhere. Perfect. What a great, what a great URL that is, Coaching for Leaders. Boy, you know that. There's a funny story behind that, but I'll save it for another day. Perfect. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. We hope you enjoyed this Best of MBS interview. Want more great content? Head to mbs.works. There you'll find MBS's new podcast, Two Pages. You can learn about his best-selling books, and you can join the newsletter. That's mbs.works.